What's black and white and wrong all over? In honor of Get Hard, what's your favorite comedy that has race or classism on its mind? I'm Katie Rich, and I probably wasn't supposed to be able to laugh at Don't Be a Menace of South Central while drinking your juice in the hood, uh, but I did. I watched a lot of In Living Color as a kid. I blame it on that. Hey, it's me, David the Seven, Trading Places. It also has a great explanation of commodities training. I'm Matt Patches, and I probably would have gone with Trading Places, but in that instead, I'm going to go with uh, <laughs> Dear White People, the movie uh, Justin Civiot's film from last year. Very funny. And I'm David Ehrlich, and really, I, I could go with any Louis Bunuel film, uh, but I'm going to call an audible. Instead of going with the discreet charm of the bourgeoisie, I'm going to go with The Exterminating Angel, because uh, life, what is life if not a dinner party that we cannot leave? So no, true. that's not life. You can no, leave no, you no. want. No, <laughs> we're all trapped here at this dinner party. It's fair. Gentlemen, you can't fight in here. This is the war room. Fine, I can hear you now, Dimitri. Clear and plain and coming through fine. I'm coming through fine too, eh? Good, then. Well, then, as you say, we're both coming through fine. Good. Well, it's good that you're fine and, and I'm fine. I agree with you. It's great to be fine. It's, it's a podcast. podcast. Hello and welcome to Fighting in the War Room, episode 64 for Tuesday, March 24th, 2015, the year of our Time Lord, Dr. Emmett Brown. It's almost the end of March. That's crazy. Uh, before we get started this week, uh, I believe we have a new review that David wants to share. Yeah, we have a couple of new reviews, but I guess we're going to try to just read the ones that uh, are either high, high at first, the first ones I see, or the ones that tickle us most because these take up a lot of time uh, but thank you so much for leading reviews and thank you very much to nickbot22 for his very kind review uh, but today we are going to be reading cynical robots who we're also this. likely to read the other review at some point this is true so next don't week uh, don't make any promises <laughs> Plenty episodes left. we're probably going to double back uh, to nickbot22 anyway uh, cynical robot says as a lover of film without any film lovers in my life that's sad I can sometimes get a little desperate to discuss a movie I just saw. Fighting in the War Room's coverage of both popular and smaller films fulfills that need nicely, while also managing to recommend a lot of great films that I may have missed. The hosts are charming and charismatic, with a great rapport between them. They seem to have found that sweet spot of knowledgeable analysis that doesn't descend into film snobby. Which brings me to David, who is traditionally the subject <laughs> of psychoanalysis in these iTunes reviews. My working theory is that as a very small child, he was lost in a crowded movie theater. While his parents frantically searched for him, young David's mounting panic transformed the laughter of the crowd from something joyous into something sinister. This is a French film. This is a French film that you would normally praise. (laughs) Black and white, silent, lost in a movie theater. Uh, Scaring his psyche to this day. How else can you explain his disdain for a movie as fun as Guardians of the Galaxy? It always comes back to Guardians of the Galaxy, doesn't it? Uh, I did not. Captain America. Right. Yeah. I did not disdain Guardians of the Galaxy. I just think it is mediocre. Mediocre, you know, average. Um, anyway, <laughs> thank you very much, Snooker Robot. And I will reveal my backstory on a future episode of <laughs> Fighting in the War Room. All, all will be revealed. It's all on a mixtape that was shot into space somehow. No time for Talking about craziness now. In, in honor of the March madness that has eclipsed a certain amount of population that you may or may not be hanging out with, do you guys, do you guys watch any basketball? We just all decided no, right? 
Nope. Patches <laughs> claims that he can't when, in fact, he just doesn't want to. I didn't realize that they put the basketball on television. I would say this. I would love to go to a basketball game. Is that an option? Do they play college basketball near us? Uh, they play them at the uh, Barclay Center sometimes. Really? There's Ooh. always more hockey you could be watching instead of <laughs> basketball. I don't understand. I watched a college basketball game taking place at the Barclays Center at a bar this weekend. Hey. hey. I'll just watch Hoop Dreams again. How about that? That's always a good a good thing. Anyway, last good. week we talked about uh, Esquire's TV canceled, their TV reboot uh, bracket roundup. And this week there's a roundup that caught my eye, or a bracket that caught my eye. I got to keep stop calling it a roundup. That's way too Western. Not sportsy at all. I know. You see what Pete in Denver is doing to me already. <laughs> Everything's a roundup. Um, I'm talking about Scholastics having an official bracket to break down the 62 original Goosebumps books plus two from Goosebumps series 2000 to get to the 64 you would need for a full bracket. Um, and uh, you, I might have mentioned previously that I've been reading all of these Goosebumps books, so I jumped right in and uh, sort of started voting on the Tumblr bracket. And then also the Tumblr people and the Tumblr crowd are somebody that I sort of like to monitor uh, ever since uh, sort of figuring out that there is a whole bunch of cool but bizarre anime people there from doing our Legend of Korra podcast. So scrolling through Tumblr, looking at Goosebumps discussion, I (laughs) found a lot of people uh, that I disagreed with and started kind of wondering who they were because when uh, the Scholastic uh, competition was announced... Uh, there was a paragraph in the first article that I read uh, about it at uh, mic.com, mike.com. I don't know. I've never read anything Mike, yeah. Mike, good. Yeah, it used to be policy mic, and now it's just Mike. Cool. Uh, but this paragraph said uh, that this is more than just a contest. They were having a contest to see if you could guess uh, who the Tumblr bracket is going to choose as the top book. Um this is a chance for parents who grew up with the Goosebumps books to remember their favorite titles and share them with their own children. It's a major play as a parental, as parent, at parental sentimentality, but a smart one. Goosebumps is the kind of franchise not tied to time or format. Not true if you've read all the Goosebumps books. Uh, Nickelodeon <laughs> Which only books. you have, so. <laughs> Apparently there are more people or Tumblr's liars, but we'll get there. Um, Nickelodeon's old horror show, Are You Afraid of the Dark, might look dated in 2015, but Goosebumps can inspire new fans at any time. So instead of just nostalgia baiting older generations, it's passing the fixation on, which is true, but this is the sort of thing that is turning all the things that we used to be sold as children into the crazy franchises like today. And I'm wondering if Goosebumps, like, there's going to be a movie... This August, August 7th, I believe, with Jack Black playing R.L. Stein. There's sort of a meta element where his most popular character is, you know, spring to life, Jumanji-like, and sort of torment him. And it's interesting because it's all pivoting on this idea that the Goosebumps books that were released from, like, 92 to 97 are popular enough that these horror characters would be recognizable. Like, it's not like Wolfman. It's like, you know, I have wolf skin, help me, or whatever the title of that book was. <laughs> and so it just, it seems weird to me that this Goosebumps discussion is happening around books targeted at middle schoolers like middle schoolers are involved when really this is just this huge... Yeah, but all these books that are in contention are ones that came out in the 90s when we were kids, right? 
That's true. Yeah. So I these mean, are... these are not. I don't know if kids discover old Goosebumps or not. I, I assume that they're republished and redistributed, and and they do get out there to kids. But this is definitely. I mean, it's a frightening idea that parents of kids who would be reading Goosebumps are old enough to have read Goosebumps. Like, I feel. This really old. puts my life into perspective, yes. And I'm the youngest person on this podcast, so you, what does it make you all in. feel like? I don't know. What, <laughs> is, what is it like to be you guys? <laughs> it sucks. Let, let's just talk about how much it sucks. Also, on this Goosebumps bracket, it's um, divided into Slappy Division, which I know who Slappy is. He's the animate puppet who wants to kill everyone. And then it's divided into Curly Division. Who the fuck is Curly? Wait, do you Curly? think anyone, do you think most people our age know who Slappy is or any of these characters? I do. Any I, do think, I, read, I read a lot of Goosebumps. I don't so did any, I. I don't remember the names of anybody in these books. No, not a single person. Slappy's I read every thing. goddamn book that R.L. Stein ever wrote, and I could not tell you anything about I don't know how you couldn't remember things. Slappy. Come on. Night of the Living Dummy, right? Okay, I yeah. remember a book called but, Night of the Living Dummy. He was the dummy. He's the only character <laughs> who has any like longevity. Does but, he continue so in other books? Yeah, he has a few sequels. He has a few sequels. Yeah, he has um, Night of the Living Dummy 1, 2, and 3 are part of the original 62. They're in the bracket. And uh, Bride of the Living Dummy is also one of the Goosebumps series 2000 ones in the bracket. But like when they had this competition to guess who was going to win, everybody guessed Night of the Living Dummy because of that like recognizable thing. Patches, Curly is the uh, skeleton mascot. That it used to be on a whole bunch of merchandise and sort but of. But he's not in any book. Not that I recall. Very odd. Ooh, is this a canon issue? Um, well, see, Goosebumps wasn't really concerned with canon until after it, the 62 original books. So there are 62 original books, Goosebumps 2000, which are sequels to those books. And then he started serializing them. So there'd be like a series of six books that would have an individual story and then a chapter where the protagonist from that story met the protagonists of other stories at Horrorland and it sort of told an overarching narrative. Oh, God. Oh, so I would have been all they're about prepping, that as They're kids. prepping kids to be you in the future, Dave, to like prepare <laughs> them for the MCU. <laughs> I mean, that's basically what's going on. Right. This is David's nightmare. Uh, yeah. I, when I had like stuff passed on to me by my parents, they were like much older things in like book form than this, like you know, old nursery rhyme things. Or like there, there was. Did a your part- parents ever give you like YA stuff? I, I don't. This is not. This is off topic. But like, I read the Hardy Boys because my dad gave them to me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I read some Hardy Boys and some Nancy Drew because my mm-hmm. neighbors actually had a collection. They collected first editions. Oh, damn. Yeah, I was not allowed to read, like, the first ten, and so that motivated me to go out and get, like, my own copies of the first ten. So I should have kept my first edition Goosebumps books. Well, I mean, I'm collecting those, and those aren't super valuable, but it is nice (laughs) to see them all, like, lined up. It just, it, it seems weird because those things, like, getting passed on, my parents weren't, like, passing them on to me. Because, like, it was going to enrich my future media experience. They were passing them on because they thought they were, like, good books. There are very few of the 62 Goosebumps books that I would pass on to a middle schooler and be like, you'll remember that you read this later in life. <laughs> Clearly, yeah. we do not remember reading any of these books. Or even, so by, even by August. Like, like, even by August when the movie comes out. It's like, you, you'll faintly remember this. But like, What an August movie. Who are the other like, characters who would be in this movie? Of course, that's when it's coming out. Like Slappy, obviously, is going to be in the movie. Who? What are obviously. the other? 
big Wasn't there like a plant that grew in a Yeah, basement? I think like the second or third book was the dad was experimenting in his basement with like living plants. It was like and my then first becomes a plant person. Yeah. I think it was my first exposure to Little Shop of Horrors before I knew <laughs> what Little Shop of Horrors was. Let me see. Let's see if there's the, there's monsters revealed in new images. Oh, there's the one that um, Ryan Gosling was in in the adaptation of the book was like a, a killer mask. Like you put the mask on and it made you into a monster. I thought he was yeah. in Are You Afraid? Are You Afraid of the Dark? Well, no, he was I in think Are You Afraid of the Dark? And he was in Say Cheese and Die. Whoa, wow. a killer Which camera! You could catch up with it. My joke website, JustTheGosling.com, where I've taken <laughs> both those episodes and cut out all the shots that don't feature Ryan Gosling. Patches. what the hell <laughs> well it's funny because he's the lead like the narrative sort of comes through there's just less filler it's just all it makes it's that is one thing you that, can do with your time it's certainly. unfortunate that that dave is as nerdy i mean it's fortunate for us that he's as nerdy <laughs> as he is because i feel with his entrepreneurial zeal uh he could be a billionaire if only any of his interests dovetailed with things that make money well, that's what I, mean, I, well, I imagine. might be a huge hit. Who knows? Reading all the Goosebumps books, I feel like you could now write an R.L. Stein book. Uh, and, and who would care if you did? Like, you could become the next R.L. Goosebumps. R.L. Stein's right? still alive. Well, he the thing with R.L. Stein is, like, if you cared about your written word at all, R.L. Stein, why would you allow Scholastic, your publisher, to put all of your books up against each other to decide which one's the best and which ones are the worst? Right? Like, that seems weird. I mean, you no. Think that's just helping, like, build interest in his books. Well, if you ask an actor or a director, like, what's your favorite movie of yours? They would never tell you. They, that, you know, that's always coveted information. That's not something you put out there into the world so that some are lesser than others. So, Arl Stein. He's not is choosing favorites. Well, I mean, even, even with Scholastic, like, we lived through the Harry Potter craze, which sort of kicked off, in my mind, this sort of mainstream YA to pop culture everything machine and i was in new york for the last the release of the last book and scholastic had like whomping willows on this streets and like took over this street with like make your own wand factories and like lines out the door and like a bunch of yep. haggards coming around and it's you know i remember all that really brought out yeah but scholastic's not gonna like rank the harry potter books from best to worst ever but yeah, they, they will. It will be purely ordered by what sold the most copies. It was all, <laughs> it was all audience appropriate. You're not going to have middle schoolers who are the target audience of these Goosebump books voting in a Tumblr poll. Or so if you is are, the they're mere... going to be drowned out by people like our age. So it's just weird to see them target it like this because I'm not sure Goosebumps. That's it's the youngest property that I've seen thrown up since. I mean, like Gem. I don't know who the new Gem movies audience is, but. Uh, women slightly older than me. Just barely, like, two years older than me. But you're not going to be interested in a movie that looks like that, are you? It, they're making it look like they're doing it like Josie and the Pussycats. Which oh, be, like, I see. Like, it's actually for friends. current teenagers. Yeah. So well, I don't know. There will be a, a kitsch factor to Jem, whereas the Goosebumps movie you imagine is just playing it completely straight. It'll be like Trick or Treat. I was going to say the opposite. No, it'll be like Trick or Treat, the PG version, I would imagine. I, why would you... The Goosebumps movie is not going to be for adults. You don't think it's going to be for millennial nostalgia like everything else on the internet no, is? No, because as as we've evidenced here, there's no, there's no nostalgia for Goosebumps other than remembering that we read them. But we don't I'm, remember any of the characters. If I'm me and I have an eight-year-old, which is possible. I went to high school with people who have eight-year-olds and I'm looking for something to go see. I'd go see Goosebumps. Sure, over, brand like, recognition gets you in the door with the, the nearest kid in your life. Um, but it's not, it's not like G.I. Joe it's, or Transformers. It's not like 
wrangling the, your your interests as a child, maturing them, and then repurposing them for you. You know, so it's not it like it's they're not farming be- us for our nostalgia. They basically. are. Yeah, <laughs> Hollywood are the the Sentinels from the Matrix, and uh, yeah, they're we are farming us for that those child rearing dollars. <laughs> Get ready, everybody! Oh. Produce, reproduce. We're watching Empire. I'm, I'm talking to my co-host right now, not uh, you. I listeners. watched some Empire. I watched I just five watched episodes some Empire. Empire. Uh, I'm the only person on this uh, episode who finished the season, which is all of your mistakes because Empire was pretty tremendous. Uh, I've seen exactly talk- one scene, and it's during uh, what happens in it is that a kid in a bar pees in the bar, and that's <laughs> all I know about the this bar, show. Not the bathroom in the bar. On the also, bar. An AP's in the bar, not in the bathroom. Last um, time we were talking about this, wasn't there a little kid being thrown in the dumpster for being gay? Yes, that happens. Uh, well, it only happens show, once, right? but there are yes, Terrence Howard yeah, is on the that's show. That's why I don't watch it. <laughs> so is Taraji P. Henson, who is a uh, a gift to all people. I'm sure. Um, the internet loves this show. Why? It, well, okay, the people, internet. Well, people love this show. People, yeah, I mean, this show it had got the highest ratings for a finale episode since Grey's Anatomy in 2005 like it is bringing back the monoculture single-handedly and that's obviously an overstatement because the monoculture is gone it's not actually happening but it is getting watched in numbers that no one else is watching I read that um more more black Americans watched um watched Empire than the Super Bowl more black women watch Empire. oh black women yeah oh yeah that's still insane it's everybody insane. watches the Super Bowl. Yeah, it's insane. That's what, I was, that's what I was saying about monoculture. Like, it is the only thing that, like, can draw in people and get their attention. I mean, not in white urban uh, worlds. Like, not that many people in my office are watching it. Patches, I don't know about people in your office, someone else who works in New York media. I, I think a few people are, uh, you know. I don't know. Yeah. I watched I mean, part of it. Damn it. It is. It is a broad spectrum hit that is not primarily driven by white audiences, which I am guessing is probably the first time that happened. And that plus its storytelling, plus its kind of soapiness, plus what my boss was referring to as its post-Mad Men morality where all of the people on the show are morally conflicted. It's not like Dynasty or Dallas where there was like the good woman and the bad woman or, you know, we all remember this from 90210. Like everyone is both good and bad. Uh, it's doing a lot of things that we're going to see reflected in television for a really long time. And it's also really fun to watch. Like, the music is really good. I don't know a whole lot about hip-hop, so I'm not going to be the one saying, you know, what what these songs compare to or Have anything. Have you bought but... any of the music on iTunes? It's all on Spotify. Oh, okay. I'm a, I'm a millennial. But you, ha- you do take the time away from the show to listen to it. Yeah, yeah, I've listened to it on Spotify several times. Oh. Um, which yeah. I have done with Nashville before. Like, Nashville had a similar effect with... Uh, Having music, and I mean, Glee had this going on for a while back yeah, when. Yeah, I believe Glee is the sort of the Big Bang for this sort of thing. Yeah, Glee was probably I think the first time that happened, but and oh, well, American Idol too. Oh, American in a Idol, right? Way. Of course. Um, yeah, Fox has been kind of dominating this style for a long time. Which it's worth um, noting that Glee totally just fizzled out into non-existence this past. Yeah, week. this past week. Like that show was still on. No one knew. No one cared. It's gone, and Empire yeah. is do- dominating. Well, I and, think that I mean, that and that can easily to... happen to Empire. By well, the way, well, because it speaks to a trend of. Um, I, I can't pretend to be an expert in Glee either, but I watched a few episodes in the first season. 
I think uh, dramas, particularly of the soapier variety, tend to flame out because right. uh, it, it's like a dying star. They just keep getting bigger and bigger and bigger, and eventually they don't have uh, the elements needed to sustain them. Well, uh, that's not the actual physics of a dying star, but just roll all, with me here. All the, uh, all the talks surrounding Empire, I saw many people as the finale was nearing being like, man, it's like three seasons of a television show packed into this one first season. I kept thinking like, oh, this is exactly like The O.C., a show that I was yeah. addicted to in high school for at least the first and then maybe half the of the o- second no. season and then totally gave up. But of The course, O.C. had exactly one great season and then nothing else. Right. But of course, you know, the most the most long running shows on television are traditional soap operas, um, which continue pulling you know, but, new plots out of the hats, but they can't sustain the sort of massive zeitgeisty appeal. And um, don't have audiences nearly at the rate that they used right, to, which is right. why so many of them are being canceled. Well, I think so the thing it, with Empire that I'm curious about, Katie, for you as someone who watched it through this entire season, is there, there seems to be, it seems to be a socially engaged show. Like everyone on Twitter goes crazy, at least people I follow, and maybe it's because I'm following lots of TV-minded people who are tuning in, but I think that I've read, too, part of its success is getting a lot of social activity during the show, people just losing their minds over all the funny lines or the funny moments, but it yeah, seems to be watched with irony. Like, I don't want to really tune into Empire because it seems to be enjoyed on a level that's kind of like not not getting into what's happening. It's just about these kind of viral moments. They seem The show seems aware of itself in that way. Um, what surprised me, I mean, I definitely started watching it for that reason. Like I heard Traji B. Henson beat up a kid with a broom in the first episode. I was like, well, I will watch that. Um, and then what impressed me as it went on is, uh, <laughs> that's what you look for in television. How, who's getting beaten on this show? That's all Anyone? Broom? Television. Oh, perfect. That's, that's why I'm watching Southern Charm, the worst reality show on television. Um, yeah, I watched it for all of that craziness. And then I got really surprisingly emotionally involved in a lot of what was going on. And it doesn't always work. Like, I think the finale stumbled in a lot of ways by rushing through too many plots and kind of, like people were saying, it's like three uh, three seasons of a television show in one thing. Um, but there are characters that you care about and you're kind of engaged in watching how this family is sticking together. And Taraji P. Henson does a lot of that because she's the one character who's like, actually out just to keep her family together and not only out for her own gain. Um, it's a really tough balance to strike. I don't really even count on them doing it for another season. It might be completely terrible when it comes back, but that's what made it worth watching for me is it had really good music. It was hilarious. And then in the end, you actually cared a little bit, not a ton. You cared enough about what happened to these people to uh, want to watch the next week. They should just do it like American Horror Story, where the season two is everyone shuffles and plays different characters in the same. No, show. I I refuse to lose Cookie. I need her back. <laughs> Fine. Everyone else, it's a different else. genre of music. That'd be fun. Yeah. I mean, what did surprise me is as the season went on, a lot of different genres of music started emerging. Like well, many isn't of the songs. Nashville country empire, more or less. I mean, yeah, but it's really boring. Some... Like Nashville well, is kind of like that's yeah, not a qualitative like, statement, but I think. <laughs> Plot-wise, from what little I've seen in Nashville, um, it may not be quite as Machiavellian as Empire, but it is very much uh, along that same format in the music industry, all the infighting and gossip and all that. It's a lot of the same stuff. It's not nearly – it's not funny at all, which is what Mm -hmm. is also so great about Empire. Um, But yeah, I mean this formula – it's not really anything new. Empire is just doing it better than anyone has in quite a while, which is what's made it – part of what's made it such a huge hit. Next season on uh, Empire, Cookie has to manage Rafi. Will they get Baby Beluga to the top of the charts? That's what I'm thinking. <laughs> Appeal to you, all uh, are, have you. Have you sent them your spec script? You should really be writing for us. I have to go. <laughs>
a lot of noise when the trouble is going down. I'm looking for a dude that can get me in the mood with a real big bank account. So this week, uh, uh, catch up for those of you that just catch up with fighting in the war room every few moments. I don't, I don't live in New York anymore. It's been, it's been a transition. Uh, when I was heading on my out, I decided I was going to get rid of a lot of my stuff. I had a storage unit with just tons of books from like school or books on animation, not to mention like DVDs, little like uh, mini DV tapes from like film school cameras, all sorts of crap. Got rid of it. Uh, was very, um, I don't know, was very happy to see that when I donated it, they just said two boxes of miscellaneous because I was able to write the maximum amount out of fun taxes. <laughs> uh, but hadn't really grown thought. up. I know. See, uh, those were my concerns. I was like, good. I've slimmed down. I'm becoming a real person. I'm becoming like a man of the future. If I want like a movie, I could like rip it to a hard drive. I'm going to invest in hard drives now. I've got my Kindle. I've got like these, this Goosebumps collection project. So I still have like some stuff. I'm into comic books. So I don't feel like I'm losing like a paper medium. You still have Goosebumps. That's the key. <laughs> Still have goosebumps. Well, then I kept like the books that I would deem irreplaceable. So like ones that I've never seen for sale because I found them in like a weird bookstore or like a large collections that would hold multiple things that I could reuse. Anyway, uh, I also, now that I live here in Denver, I live across from the light rail, which is an above ground mass transportation system. And this week a car hit it, which happens a lot. You'd be surprised. So I had to shut down some power in the area to try to make sure everything was safe and lost power to my apartment uh at about the same time my phone died for the first time since i've been living here and realized that like i have like maybe one clock that runs on batteries and all my i'm surprised you have that many yeah well you know it was a gift (laughs) (laughs) uh and then all my books were like uh based on things that I had to be researching. So I have a whole bunch of trade paperbacks that I'm supposed to be reading for, like, thought bubble research. And then I obviously have my goosebumps. And then I have novels, Star Wars novels that are in canon and star novels about Star Wars. And I was just like, I don't want to do any of this. Like, when the power goes out and you've been, like, working all day and you telecommute and you actually it's impossible for you to get in contact with people... You want to just drop off the grid so people aren't like, why didn't you go to a Starbucks and use the wireless? So you just kind of want to take like a mini vacation until the power comes back on. But I was just surrounded by like work and weirdness. And so I ended up picking up the only book that interested me, which ended up being the Hunter S. Thompson uh, collection, The Great Shark Hunt, which takes a whole bunch of his early essays and sort of knits them together. And I started rereading a book, which I hadn't done in forever. <laughs> which has now making me rethink my whole uh, thought that I could go completely digital except for books that I needed to have in the physical space. And I don't know, it, it, for someone like me who has always embraced new technologies and ways that it made it more convenient for me to get content, even if occasionally they are illegal, it was weird for me to suddenly be like, oh no, this old thing that I used to love in the way that I used to make fun of people for being nostalgic for like, I don't know, records, which I get, but like there's this, there's a certain limit to that madness that I can't follow. This is funny because I feel like two years ago we had a segment three on this podcast that was all about how we were finally all giving up on physical media that we <laughs> yeah. didn't need 
Blu-rays anymore. That two. really just like streaming was there. Finally, we didn't need any of this junk that we had in our house. We could finally get rid of it all. And now, now you're reverting. You're pulling back. Well, I'm just giving it a second thought because, like, I do have a lot more subscription stuff, and HBO is going to launch a subscription uh, in a system in April that I'm going to, you know, probably get on and get on the legal side of HBO again. You but know I, what part of physical media I don't miss, though? What? Is video games. I, uh, I, I think it'll, you know, I, I'm decades removed from caring about having a video game library, but currently as we record this podcast... Yeah, we got a pretty sweet video game library, bro. Sorry. Uh, I am waiting for – well, I still remember going over to my friend's house in like fifth grade and he pulled out a drawer that was just like front to back filled with Super <laughs> Nintendo cartridges. Yeah. And I yeah, pretty I much shut Cartridge drawers. Uh, yeah. Cool. But, uh, but currently as we record this, there is a timer kicking down on my television on my PlayStation 4 waiting for midnight when my download of Bloodborne, which is the uh, new game made by the people who made Dark Souls – uh, will unlock because I, it's already downloaded the game itself, and I'll be able to play it. And I think that's very cool. I don't know. I was very glad I that I had with no my idea life, you didn't have to like go buy PlayStation. No, I, don't know why. I didn't think that, that would happen. Uh, I I, it's probably I'm fooling myself to think that I have time to play Bloodborne, but I <laughs> definitely would be fooling myself if I thought I had time to go buy it. So this is a, <laughs> this is a, a nice change I for mean, me. That cuts both ways. It probably won't affect Bloodborne, but there are other games that because they could be so easily put out in that method, go out with certain DLC that you're going to need later on. So basically they ship incomplete games, which is fine until, you know, the time you are in a power outage. and uh, There's a game, there's a day one patch on this thing, I'm sure. Um, plus, you know, many more to come. Yeah. Um, but that is, you know, it's an additional incentive to not having to, uh, it's nice that they can reach us in that way. I mean, that's a whole different conversation, but um, it's nice that if there's an add-on or something like that, I don't have to go to the store. But I still have my proud shelf of, of Blu-rays, Criterion DVDs and Blu-rays. And, uh, Are you still um, buying I, Criterions? Uh, yeah, but those are the only ones. I mean, fortunately, through work, the odd Blu-ray comes my way from time to time. I don't remember the last time that I bought a Blu-ray uh, that wasn't Criterion with my own money. But... Um, yeah, I mean, I, I just, I think it's really, in an ideal world, if I didn't, if I had all the time in the world, uh, I think my tendency would shift back towards the physical media side of things. I think the truth of the matter is that I'm just constantly watching movies um, on my computer for work, uh, and I would much sooner find a way to get it so that I can get DAX or Vimeo or whatnot set up on my television than I would uh, popping out a, a Blu-ray. It just, I don't have the occasion for it, but I don't know if that if I can extrapolate that uh, to speak for, you know, anything beyond my work habits or uh, the generation at large. Yeah. Well, it also, that sort of system allows you, I think, to watch more, maybe not for less, but definitely allows you to watch more because you're not being, you know, trapped in the process of getting physical media. It's just Um, like, there's gotta be, there's gotta be in between, between having everything sort of trapped in sort of like a cloud wired sort of way and, I don't know, having certain things that are not that. I mean, there's the having, uh, like, the digital copy on your computer, which I have, like, you know, various times when I've had a Blu-ray and made the effort of putting the digital copy in my iTunes, and I've been on a plane, and been like, oh, I can watch Fantastic Mr. Fox right now, and it's been great. Like, that's not a bad in-between. No, not at all, as long as your thing stays charged. Yeah. 
Which That's is, true. That it's like usually I haven't had this problem because I've always had like a chargeable device with like a Wi-Fi signal or a 4G signal. But it occurred to me now, it's like if I'm going to get stuff that I want, if I'm going to start paying for access rather than paying for something that I'm like going to own, uh, then maybe I should start choosing more specifically the things that I'm willing to wait for to get in a more more accessible medium. You know what I've been buying a lot more of recently are books. Yeah. yeah. I know. Have you heard of these things? They are nah. fantastic. Especially the law. I'm, I... Uh, I need the incentive to read. I need to have an interest in the physical object. And so whenever possible, uh, I buy hardcovers because I just think they're a lot more pleasant to hold and they have that weight to them. Um, and soft covers feel, paperbacks feel very disposable. And I've also been splurging on coffee table books, which I almost never open, but really enjoy having like the uh, Criterion Designs book and the giant Bjork catalog for her disastrous MoMA show. The book itself, which is like a $70 brick, is just gorgeous. And, you know, in and of itself justifies the whole fiasco of the exhibit um, and all those things. So that that is that is something that... That sounds like something you just about, like, getting older and, like, creating a home and having, like, things that are objects in your house that are not for, like... You to not that they're like only there to be displayed, but like they are things that make your home more pleasant in addition to being media for you. Yeah, or just like knowing that before when I was, I guess, doing a lot more torrenting and becoming obsessed with like, I don't know, having every episode of like a certain TV series, I the premium was that I was able to suddenly have access to them. It's like now if I were to go back to like those episodes, like they're of varying quality and some of them are like, you know, if I downloaded Simpsons after what the, you know, entire Simpsons marathon, those are all cropped in weird ways. And I'm starting to wonder like if, there's an episode of the simpsons where i really like you know how it's animated and how it's presented would i ever go out and buy like a you know a film cell or a blu-ray copy of it and the, the answer is well, yes what? but i think that the the drawback for me of um intangible media of downloaded and digital media is the entire experience and maybe this speaks to what you're talking about with the simpsons is that it's also fluid that i seldom get the sense that i'm actually doing anything it's just this sort of endless miasma of stuff that's happening whereas even going to your shelf and pulling out a blu-ray that you've chosen and putting it in and sitting down is a, is a bit of a process but watching a Vimeo link on one screen and something else on the other or downloading a video game and then just hitting the input button to be on television where there's a movie. It's all not having something to touch and to, and to hold and to do things. Well, why do you it. need that? Feels... Like, why do we need that? Why are we clinging to this? Let me play devil's advocate for a second and say that that is not really important, that it can be a miasma of stuff because it basically is anyway, even if you're putting a disc into your player or if you're launching a game or if you're like any of this stuff is inconsequential. I mean... You're, you're tricking your brain at a certain level. You're not really doing anything. It's not about engagement. It's about getting there. And well, that's not important. I, I, really, I, I, when Dave kind of posed this question to us, if there's anything that we're kind of still clinging to in the physical world before the podcast, I said, uh, no, nothing. I really feel like I can get rid of everything in my apartment. Uh, that I, if everything could become digitized, I probably but would your do argument it because then is, I'd have more space. Your argument, I think, is, is flawed because none of this stuff is about 
uh, anything real. I mean, it's not about, uh, especially particularly when you're talking about things that engage in the arts and cre- creativity. I mean, it's all about organizing our lives in such a way that we feel um, fulfilled by something or accomplished by something. Of course, there is very little value or, or you know, logical a benefit to having something physical and manipulating that when everything is so geared towards ease and convenience these days um, and streamlining things. Uh, but uh, that's, that is no reason not to do something in a certain way. Um, I think there is a, a value that's as important as any other kind of value in the weight of a book or, uh, and how that makes you feel that is so, it's an inextricable and intrinsic part of reading that book. So I, I don't really buy into that uh, system of values that you just put forward. I'm sort of there, but definitely on the side where I started off with this process thinking that I had a whole bunch of clutter and I had like a storage unit with a whole bunch of stuff I didn't use. And I thought that was wasteful and horrible and I wouldn't miss it. And now I'm realizing that that only applied to most of the stuff, not all of the stuff. Because when I'm doing streaming media or when I have, you know, I could bounce back and forth between, like, I think, like, one week I was feeling kind of bored. So I watched my favorite parts in the Harry Potter movies in the reverse order. (laughs) And it's just like being able to do that is fine. But it's like, you know, surfing Reddit or, you know, going through a link generated internet thing you're like too much dopamine for your brain you're just getting a flood of all this content and it's like there's gonna be something special with like seeing that weird fbi warning at the beginning of like my old dvds someday i just see i i really i mean the way i'm the way i'm wired david i totally understand about having an experience that is beyond the the text um if if your artistic experience involves holding the book no, th- it's no, not I, beyond. I, it's no. It's that's what I'm saying. Thing. That's what I'm. No, I'm saying beyond the like the story of a book. You're okay. engaging with the book itself, and that's part of the experience. I'm I'm agreeing with you. Yes. Um, for me, I just I don't feel wired that way, and I it's always it's going to come down to a personal thing, right? Uh, I I don't pick up a book, and I'm not like I don't feel it that way. I want to dive in, and I want to engage with the film. I don't really care how I get there, and I can understand. There's this feeling that it's too easy for us and that we can consume, consume, consume. But I don't know. I haven't hit the point where I'm just like plowing through movies or plowing through books because I can get them on my Kindle. Um, I've read more books because – uh, I've, I've read them on my Kindle, but I don't, and I, and I feel like I've digested them fully. I'm not losing anything in my mind from not having the hard copies of these books, except taking up space. I, I haven't really found an object in my life that has gained that. I think if I had a painting that I wouldn't want it on a screen, I'd want a physical thing to hang up and accomplish that and, and have like the texture of that painting so I could see it up close. But I don't feel the same way uh, about a book cover or a DVD or the scratchiness of the, the FBI intro or something like that. I, not, not that. I don't gain anything there. I mean, I guess it's uh, the difference like I don't want our entertainment media to become like photographs. Where it's like, if you're going to have a physical photograph, it's going to be like an art print or it might as well be digital, like at this point. Mm -hmm. It's either old. Like, I don't have, my parents have like tons of photographs from like, you know, when disposable cameras became a thing and, you know, like when they decided they wouldn't become photographers because it's this cool piece of technology and they were young or whatnot. And like, for me, it's like all of a sudden, 
phones and cameras become the same thing and like now i just have folders of who knows what that i never look at see that's actually the only uh like physical media that i've gone back to i love printing photos and i love having a printer here in my house that i can make photos with uh, oh i didn't they, know you had that yeah yeah that's that's probably and actually going back to the one of the first things you said dave i have a real clock i have a clock radio <laughs> which people think is weird, which I have to set for daylight savings time. Those sort of objects. I, I didn't know uh, we were talking media. to someone who has a real clock. I'm, I'm sorry. Yeah. <laughs> I've, been, I, I've misjudged you this entire time. <laughs> Hello. Uh, actually, I have multiple clocks in my house that would requ- that require me to um, turn them back. They're not digital. Wall clocks and my clock radio. Wow. Uh, a calendar hanging up in front of me. There, I, I have physical objects that seem archaic now that I examine them. Uh, that I do cling to, but not in the media entertainment world. I, that's not something I, I need in my life, but uh, I certainly need physical photographs. I love that. Yeah. You guys have, this has all helped me uh, psychoanalyze the regression to physical media that's been happening in my house, which is that we got a record player for Christmas uh, last Christmas very oh, nice. oh, I know a lot of people who got record players. It's extremely hip. It was given to us by my brother and sister-in-law who are hip Seattle people. And uh, so Michael, who I'm married to, is like a much more of a music person. It says he can hear the difference between vinyl and CD. I can't. So I can't argue that. But what I like about it isn't like having the records for myself. Like I'm not very likely to put it on when I'm like doing the dishes or something. But I like having people over and being like, yeah, what's listening to? Look at my to- record player. Well, yeah. Yeah, I realize it sounds like there's I'm an element cool. of it. There's an element of it that I can't Katie, like. Who swear cares? Patches happen. has a clock. We're over record. That's true. No, I know. Come, Patches oh, is what I'm saying us. is, come over to my house and check out my clock. <laughs> <laughs> it tells time. But what's fun is it? I mean, what's I don't think what's fun is to show off having a record player and how hip I am. But you guys can tell me otherwise. But being like, let's sit here. Like it's a communal experience of listening to an entire album all the way through. Yes, which. You just don't do anymore. Like I never do when, when I'm was the last time you sat down, even with people in your house, and sat and listened to a record. All you the way. have been at my house and we have listened to Graceland. I I have a distinct memory of this. Wait, do you mean done just that? Like actually to... sitting there and staring out to space? No, you like to a having record, a no, or... like having a conversation, just like having that be the background, and instead of like the music endlessly playing, like you get up, you turn the record over, and we you talk about what you're listening in our to. Apartment, and my girlfriend plays it on the weekends while we tidy up the apartment and hang around. Yeah, um, it's nice, right? Yeah, it's, there's yeah. something about it that makes it more of an activity that uh, that is different and that we've lost, and that there's like there's something about the physicality of it and the like. Here is an event we are putting what on a did record. You lose? That when you just like would put on your phone to whatever playlist you'd been listening to, and there's no like physical action or like thought really associated with it. I don't know. I it's the same as like having printed photos, you know. It's like a yeah. tangible element that you are interacting with. I like record I players because they they keep the album alive. Like you're you're talking about. Like I remember. Like you listen to player. an album instead of just listening to shuffle. Well, it's just like I had a roommate that had uh, Nielsen Smilson as a like a whole album, and depending on which side he would play, you could tell whether or not he was hungover in the morning. <laughs> it's just like those sort of things, like become. Wait, which side was the hangover side? Uh, the one that starts with can't live with living is without you, and the other one starts with gotta live. get up, gotta da to the more. So it's like two different living sides. is without you. I'll, I'll, I'll say this. There's a difference, Katie, between the photographs that I'm printing and the records you're collecting. Uh, or there may not be. 
I, I print photos. Strong statement. I want them. Yes, exactly. <laughs> it's, it's my clickbait. Um, I, I want these photos to survive. You know, one of my favorite memories is just like going to my grandparents' house and seeing these photos, these aging photos, these photos mm-hmm. that are like in behind glass but are still fading away. Uh, I love looking at those and I want photos like that for me to, to just have for all eternity because at some point my hard drive is going to crash or my yeah. phone's going to get wiped and all these pictures I've taken, I mean, no matter how many times I back them up, I don't know what I'm going to do with them. But if you print them, you're going to do something with them and or you're going to rediscover them later when you pack them up and move again and go somewhere else and um, you, they'll, they'll stay with you. I don't give a shit if my John Carter like digital file b- dissolves one day. Sorry, John Carter. Actually, I own John Carter on Blu-ray. If my John will never die. Snaps, so that will I'll have that forever. Um, I just don't need a lot of this media in my life. Uh, I, I don't have that close connection. Podcast. Yeah, I know. I mean, I treasure the moments and I treasure the memories of watching things and what I've learned from them. But I don't. I don't need a lot of stuff, and I've never been that way. I was actually, and then this is probably connected to my youth to psychoanalyze myself for a second because I never liked buying things. I really hated when I was younger. The first CD I ever bought was a Johnny Cash CD, and I almost wept buying it at a Barnes and Noble because I was like, I don't know if I should spend money on this. I just, it's wrong. That's like I, Matthew song. I don't need this. <laughs> I wept to the Johnny Cash. No, I um, want, but I don't want <laughs> this Johnny Cash CD. Oh my God! What happened to Dave Matthews, by the way? Uh, anyway. I guess my point is I'm I don't I've never really treasured anything in that way. So the the you know the slide from physical media to digital I have no connection to anything. I'm oh, soulless. Man. I know this is this is grim. That does it for today's Fighting in the War Room. We'll be back on Friday to talk about Serena, which Jennifer Lawrence would not like you to know was a movie starring Jennifer Lawrence, but it is out there in the world anyway. Uh, in the meantime, tell the people who you are. I'm Dave Matthews of the Dave Matthews Band, uh, and I'm on Twitter. Wait, hold on, Patches. hold on. Wait, that did not. I heard something that was not accurate. Oh, Roll sorry. Roll back Dave. <laughs> <laughs> I'm Matt Patches. Ah. Matt Patches Band. Uh, Esquire, and I'm on Twitter at Mr. Patches, and we have a website, fightinginthewarroom.com. We post all the episodes, share them, you can comment, you can leave lyrics to your favorite Dave Matthews song right there on our website. Or Pearl Jam, Eddie Vedder. We're a big debate behind the scenes here. Uh, Fightinginthewarroom.com. I'm David Ehrlich. I'm the associate film editor of Time Out New York and the editor at large of Little White Lies magazine. You can find me on Twitter at David Ehrlich at Criterion Corner at Time Out US Film. Uh, and you can find all of us together just sending Pearl Jam lyrics to one another uh, on Facebook at Fighting in the War Room. I'm Dave Matthew Gonzalez. Whoa! Secret shade. Mm-hmm. I was never given my own band, and Dave Gonzalez created these things called homies, so I'm totally ungoogleable, which is why I spell my first name DA70. That's also my Twitter handle. I write for Forbes.com, Latino-Review.com, and DailyGeek.com. I also do a comic book podcast called The Thought Bubble at this feed, and we are back this week. Oh my gosh, so much has happened. But you'll have to tune in on Wednesday. Uh, I'm Katie Rich. I'm still confused about this homies Dave Matthews business. I'm going to find out more about that off the air. Uh, you can find me at VanityFair.com or on Twitter at Katie Rich, K-A-T-E-Y-R-A-C-H. 
If you're looking for this entire podcast, you can find us at FITWR, where you can answer this week's lightning round question, which was... In honor of Get Hard, what's your favorite comedy that has race or classism on its mind? Thank you for listening, and we'll be back talking to you on Friday. No words exchange, no time to exchange you and I. Call and